0: Zechariah chapter 1 from verse 7 On the twenty-fourth day of the eleventh month, the month of Shabbat, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Zechariah, son of Zerubbaciah, the son of Ido. During the night I had a vision. And there before me was a uh, a man mounted on a red horse. He was standing among the myrtle trees in a ravine. Behind him were red, brown and white horses. I asked, what are these, my Lord? The angel who was talking with me answered, I will show you what they are. Then the man standing among the myrtle trees explained, They are the ones the Lord has sent to go throughout the earth. And they reported to the angel of the Lord, the one who was standing among the myrtle trees, I have gone throughout the earth and have found the whole world at rest and in peace. Then the angel of the Lord said, Lord Almighty, how long will you withhold mercy from Jerusalem and from the towns of Judah, which you have been angry with these 70 years? So the Lord spoke kind and comforting words to the angel who talked to me. Then the angel who was speaking to me said, Proclaim this word. This is what the Lord Almighty says. I am very jealous for Jerusalem and Zion. And I am very angry with the nations that feel secure. I was only a little angry, but they went too far with the punishment. Therefore, this is what the Lord says. I will return to Jerusalem with mercy. And there my house will be rebuilt. And the measuring line will be stretched over Jerusalem, declares the Lord. Proclaim further, this is what the Lord Almighty says. My towns will again overflow with prosperity. And the Lord will again comfort Zion and choose Jerusalem. I'm going to pray. Lord God, as we open up uh, this part of your word, we pray that you might give us wisdom as we seek to navigate it, understanding as we seek to know you better. And we pray that you might encourage us and spur us on and shape us ultimately more and more and more into the likeness of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, we are continuing our journey through Zechariah. And last week I said that Zechariah, I think, is kind of one of the hidden gems of the Bible, and particularly the Old Testament. Um, It is a, a small book that is often not looked at very much, but it is set after Jerusalem has kind of been wiped out and destroyed. So for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, Israel failed to acknowledge God and to recognize him for who he was. But more than that, they said, we want the gods of the other nations. So we want those gods. We want the gods of Egypt and Persia and Babylon. And we want them here. And after hundreds of years of Israel rejecting the prophets, Ignoring the warnings, God handed them over. And he said, fine, if this is what you want, I will give you what you want. And so these gods that Israel pursued and sought to come close and draw near, came and crushed them in the nations of Babylon and Persia and Assyria. And families were torn apart, homes were burnt to the ground, lives were lost, hundreds of thousands of tears shed. But in the midst of it all, in kind of the darkness of the storm and the night, there was a glimmer of hope. And that is that God said, I will not be done with you, O Israel. Seventy years. Seventy years and I will bring you back. Seventy years and I will restore you. And so that's why Zechariah opens the way he does in verse 1, and again in our passage this morning at verse 7, he's kind of uh, time stamping it. The 70 years are almost up. The storm is kind of soon to pass. Have you ever been in one of those storms, right, where it is crazy and windy? And imagine being in a boat in the sea and you kind of just thrown about and you get past kind of you get to that moment where you start to see the sunshine on the other side and you realise we're almost out of this and that's what Zechariah is writing that's where Zechariah's writing and that's who he's writing to kind of the people in this boat at sea And so in today's reading we get the first really of uh, se- uh of 8 or 9 depending how you break them up visions. And so you you should see on the screen they form a bit of like a, a mirror pattern. So 1 matches with 8, 2 matches with 7, and then there's kind of a bonus vision right at the end. Uh and in them there's all sorts of imagery and kind of craziness and mayhem and you're kind of like what is going on here? Like what like what was going on for Zechariah, right? And, and if you're feeling that, one, it's probably a little bit like your dreams. Right? Have you ever had those dreams where you wake up and you're just like, What was that about? It's probably from God. No. Nah. Don't 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 go on that. Cut that from the stream. Um, that is a little bit what's going on. And you're in good company. Because Zechariah himself, right, he, the prophet, is in the middle of this, uh, and in the very first vision, verse 9, he says essentially, what's happening? What is going on? What are these, Lord? Zechariah himself is a little bit confused, and he asks God to kind of explain and to give insight And so if you're feeling a little lost when you read some of these visions, take heart because you're in good company. But really what we see in this first vision of these horses is we see three things. We see the world at rest. And it's kind of verses 8 to 11. We see evil restrained. And we see God's people restored. The world at rest, evil restrained, and the world restored. If you were here last week, my three points were a call to remember, a call to repent, and a promise to return. I've continued the R's, and Matt has assured me he'll have three R's next week. He doesn't know that. The world at rest. Verses 8 to 11. During the night I had a vision. And there before me was a man mounted on a red horse. Now it's it's easy to kind of get caught up in the colours. And some people try to kind of decode the colours. what's What's going on with the red horse? What do we mean by brown horse or a white horse? I think the image is just a diverse group of horses, scouts... That it can't be reduced, okay? This is much more like, um, uh, I had an Old Testament letter who said, Zechariah is much more like a picture book for children than it is a decoding book for the Pentagon. And he said, children often get Zechariah better than adults do, because adults try to like decode everything, whereas kids just read it and they go, oh, God wins. It's like, yeah, that's the point. Before me was a man mounted on a red horse. He was standing among the myrtle trees in a ravine. Behind him were red, brown and white horses. Now horses at the time are kind of the tanks of the ancient world. They are the epitome in battle of kind of power and strength. But more than that, kind of mobility and movement. And so a mounted man was someone who was extremely dangerous. Do you remember uh um back in kind of Lord of the Rings when the charge of horsemen in the third film, right? And uh the battle at uh where are we? Not Helm's Deep, though there is one there. Uh you know what I'm talking about. Hundreds of thousands of orcs and yet Rohan, Rohan thank you. And then the horsemen charge and they just cut through them like a knife through butter. such is the power of cavalry, such is the power such are the power of horses in the ancient world, and so they kind of represent power and freedom and force and mobility. but here we have uh, a mounted man on a red horse, and then other kind of the um, the Hebrews a little bit. Clearer, where it seems to be other singular mounted men on other singular horses. And they are, we're told, going throughout the world to all the earth, scouting it out. Scouting it out, the eyes of the king. Verse 10, And the man standing among the myrtle trees explained, They are the ones the Lord has sent throughout the earth. All the earth, unbound, unrestricted, unrestrained, over and aware of all, from all four corners of the globe. And so I, that's why I think it's going on with the colours. It's actually more about representing four kind of people. Right? Going to all four corners of the earth. No part is unseen no part is unchecked no part is hidden from this god this king of kings now imagine for a moment you are a young mother returns to israel after being destroyed and decimated Return to ruins. Needing to rebuild. That not the cry of a child, not a bird falls from its nest, not a tear drops from a cheek, nor a cry or croak in the middle of the night that goes unseen, unknown, unheard. Not a spike in anxiety, not a moment of numbness, not a second of dismay or disillusionment goes unseen by this God. That this is the God, this is the King of Kings who has his scouts watching over every part of the earth in control completely sovereign all knowing and there is a warning then for those who would in the illusion of darkness seek to oppress or wound or hurt or dominate others right there's a warning to them it's just the darkness is just an illusion That our God does not sleep, that our God sees all and is aware of all. And there is a comfort to those who are feeling alone or feeling like they go unseen or a feeling weak and vulnerable. That they are never alone, even in those darkest moments. I didn't know whether I was going to share this, but um, uh, our eldest, uh, particularly when he was younger, used to really struggle with um, feeling uh, quite nervous and anxious. And so we had this bit of call and response thing where it was kind of we, we, I would say to him, "What do we say when we feel scared?" And then his line of response, each time was to be, God's with us. Or God's with me. What do we say when we feel scared? God's with me. Right. This is Zechariah 1. This is the scouts going through all the earth. Now, I took Jacob down a waterslide slide which was so much darker than we thought. Well, I knew it was that he didn't. And as we are flying down, Jacob's sitting on my lap, and I just hear this little boy, "Cuss with me, cuss 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 with me!" me." Right? It's this moment of kind of joy and pleasure, like this is great. And have I traumatized my son through this? (laughs) Little ones to Him belong. They are weak, but He is strong. In the Dawn Treader C.S. Lewis's great Narnia work there's this part where there's this part where they sail into the darkness and in search to find uh, a soldier they pull him up on board and he says flee escape and they say why And he says, because this is the place where dreams come true. And immediately they say, well, why would we leave here? And the soldier says, didn't you hear me? This is the place where dreams come true. And and Lewis writes beautifully and he says, in that moment, each soldier recalled the nightmares and the what-ifs that they have had. And they ran for the rigging. That so often in our life and in our worlds, we live in the what-if what my husband gets sick. And the worst happens. What if I lose my job and then we can't pay for the mortgage and cost of living is, is a nightmare? And I'll have to pull my kids out of school and that's the school they've finally found friends at and then they're going to hate me? What if the phone call is it's cancer? We're fighting again and... What if this time he asks for a divorce and he says, I just can't keep doing this. That as the dawn treader is sailing out of the darkness, they seem to be unable to escape it. And Lucy is up on the crow's nest and she starts crying and she says, Oh, Aslan, 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 save us. And she sees a spark of light. And a bird flies down and around her. And she says, uh, and it says that in that moment, she heard a lion's voice say, courage, dear heart. Courage, dear heart. That even in that world, even in that place where nightmares come true, that even if the worst happens, that Aslan is still king even in that world. That even if the call is its cancer, that even if you lose your job, remember that God is still king even over that world. That nothing is outside of his sovereign will or rain or knowledge that the moon is still round whether you can see it or not imagine the hope imagine the comfort that that this brings to someone returning from exile To someone in the Israel-Gaza conflict at the moment To our brother or sister That just this night Will seek to smuggle Bibles past guards Into a closed off country That nothing is outside of this King of kings sovereign knowledge and control That they have gone through all the earth And everything is in his hands. And and some people will push back and go, so Nazi Germany was in his hands? Yes. But what about the concentration camps? What about this trauma that happened in my life? What about this pain, this suffering? How can you trust a God who would allow this? And often I feel in that moment, how could you trust a God that isn't in control of those things? How could you trust a God that's just reacting to the whims and and the evils of the world? Like a sailing boat needs to just react only to to the wind. Here's how you can trust those hands, because they are sovereign hands that hold nail scars in them. That we believe in a God, not just who holds galaxies and Nazi Germany and concentration camps and the Israel Gaza conflict and our sickness and our health in his hands, but that those hands have been wounded for us. And so he sends these horses out and they have gone throughout the world and they have found the world at rest. And there is in some sense this kind of mixed emotions I think in verse 11 when it says we have gone throughout all the earth and found the world at rest and in peace. In one sense rest and peace is a great thing but for those in Israel who have Gone through enormous amounts of oppression. The question for them in verse 11 is, well, will they just get away with it then? And that is where verse 12 to 15 goes that not, not for a moment. Not for a moment that God will have, see evil restrained. Then the angel who was speaking to me said, proclaim this word. This is what the Lord Almighty says. I am very jealous for Jerusalem and Zion. And I am very angry with the nations that feel secure. I was only a little angry, but they went too far with the punishment. That he will um, ensure that for those who have overstretched their hand, that they will stumble and fall. That he will restrain evil. And we'll get to this, Matt, we'll get to this actually next week. It's kind of in the next vision. We'll see that play itself out. And so let me just touch on what fuels next week's vision and what fuels God restraining this evil. And we're told the motive, right? We're told the motive in verse 14. I, why? For I am very jealous for Jerusalem and Zion. And that's confusing, right? Because we're used to jealousy just being a negative thing. Right? In fact, you can um, go on YouTube and you can search Oprah Winfrey, Jealousy of God. And she has a part where she talks about, she was at a Christian kind of church and event, and they're talking about how God was... All powerful, how God was all knowing, how, God, maybe they're talking about Zechariah 1. Uh, and God was all good, and then she was, she said she was there in that moment, she was going, yes, yes, yes. And then they said, and God is a jealous God. And she said, in that moment, I knew that that God could not be real, because if God was jealous of me, then how could he really be God? Now she's missed something here, because it's not like God is up there going, Oh, I just wish I had all that money that Oprah has. I, if I just had that hair. like That's not the jealousy that's on view. But it's understandable, right? Because we read things like Galatians 5, which talks about jealousy as a sin. And what we are kind of seeing is perhaps there's two kinds of jealousy. That there is a, a wrong jealousy... And then there is a right jealousy. And so an ungodly jealousy is this, when someone is envious of what someone else possesses, a coveting of something that does not belong to you, that someone else possesses. But God's jealousy here is a righteous jealousy because what is And a godly jealousy, a godly jealousy is what is rightfully his, is being given or taken by or to someone else. So let me give you uh, this example, just quickly. Uh, if I see a guy kind of talking with my beautiful wife over there, and they're just talking, and if I, like, maybe she laughs at a joke, and if I start to get angry or bitter or cold then that is about me. And that is, there's actually something that is fueled by a fear or an insecurity there, um, a possessiveness, and that that is evil and wicked and, and needs to be repented of. And actually, I probably need to speak to someone about it. That is not right. And that should have no place in the church and no place in marriage. Let me be clear on that. But if I see a guy speaking to my wife, seeking to worm his way into her heart, to stir her affections, to seek to kind of Draw her to himself. Then there is, then something will stir in me that is a right, proper, righteous kind of anger and and I'm, I'm throwing a chair. Right? Because what is rightfully mine is seeking to be taken by someone else. That no husband who truly loves his wife or wife who truly loves her husband could endure seeing them in the arms of another. And again, let me be really clear. There is, even in marriage, abusive jealousy. And that should have no place. And we, if, if you're in that relationship, we want to come alongside you, we want to support you, we want to ensure that you can walk healthily and well. We want to restore and build you up. But what we see in Zechariah 1 is a righteous, godly jealousy, that of what Christopher Wright kind of writes. He says this, A God who was not jealous would be as contemptible as a husband who did not care whether or not his wife was faithful to him part of our problem with this profound covenantal reality is that we have to is that we have come to regard religion like everything else as a matter of consumer choice but god will restrain evil He will repay the nations for their excessive violence because he is jealous for his name and for his people. He will restrain evil and he will restore his people. Let me just cover this one off quickly. Therefore, Verse 16, therefore, this is what the Lord says. I will return to Jerusalem with mercy. Imagine hearing that verse, right? And there my house will be rebuilt. And the measuring line will be stretched out over Jerusalem. That's kind of an image of kind of uh, to signify the fact that the future is going to be filled with kind of building and expansion. Think about phrases phrase like, crack out the tape measure. Call Dan Rolden. Extensions are going on. Proclaim further, this is what the Lord Almighty says, my towns will again overflow with prosperity. My towns will again overflow with prosperity and the Lord will again comfort Zion and choose Jerusalem. And Israel at that time would only see this come to fulfillment in part. In part, we're told that they rebuild the temple and they weep because it's not What it was. And so this vision must be talking about a time to come. A time to come when this will happen. About ten years ago I was asleep and in the middle of the night there was this crack of thunder. You know those cracks of thunder that you kind of go, am I still alive? It shook the walls and woke me up from kind of a dark, a dark sleep, a deep sleep. And this thunderstorm or whatever happened, I just had, I just remember being just woken up by it and I went, this is it. I genuinely was like, I remember hopping out of it and I was like, in my footy shorts, like, I'm gonna walk outside and like, I thought, this is it. Jesus has come back. There's trumpets. I'm gonna walk outside and I'm gonna look up and I'm gonna see heaven tearing open like a curtain. And I'm gonna see heaven descending. I'm gonna be seeing thousands of angels and God coming down to me. I was wrong. But one day, That will happen. And God will restore all that is broken. And he will restore us who are broken. And the towns will again, the world will again overflow with prosperity. And the Lord will again comfort Zion. Let's pray. Lord, we look forward to that day. Help us in the moment, as we so often feel like this world is seemingly out of control, like a car just with no brakes or steering, screaming down the highway. And yet it is not out of your control and you are bringing about, you will come again, and you will restore your people, you will restore us. Fix our eyes towards that day, we pray. Amen.